0: way. This morning, I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 18. That's where we're going to start. Uh, we have a lot of direction we're going to go. I did not plan to do this sermon particularly on uh, Valentine's Day, but it's the way it worked out. That just kind of worked that way uh, with the various things that have been going on. We It's actually a week later because of Encounter being here. But um, In the news these days are a number of issues dealing with homosexuality. There's no doubt about it that it is a hot topic. It is all around you, whether it's gays in the military, uh, homosexuals in the military, whether it's the whole concept of uh, gay marriage, uh, same-sex marriage as they call it. Uh, It is something that's around us. It is something that is discussed by people around us my goals here are several. Uh, this is at least two sermons. Um, as I was working on it, I realized that I need to do some background. So today's kind of the background for the, the the bottom line at the end where we talk about, okay, how do I answer some of the issues that are going on today? But we need to know the biblical background of what's going on. Here's what I believe my goals are for this very, very short series of sermons. Number one that we would know precisely, accurately what the Word of God says. It is being distorted, twisted, and messed up big time. Because they're saying, well, the Bible doesn't speak against this. Uh, That's a misinterpretation. That's a mistranslation. We'll talk about that part this morning. I also want you to be able to articulate in a practical but very biblically-based way why some of these things are just not good. They're not good for individuals. They're not good for our country. They're not good for families. They're just plain bad policy, bad practice in every way. And if you miss this last one, you're going to go out here with a bad attitude and you'll probably get blasted for it. And this is it: is If someone is living in sin, what is our response to them? Okay. We either say, well, we want to love them. So we have to accept them. And we couldn't say anything negative about them. That's one response. It is not the biblical response. The other is we can stick our head in the sand, kind of hide and say, "Uh, I I don't know. Uh, That's your choice. Uh, You decide whatever you want. But there is a biblical choice. The biblical choice is this, that I do know what I believe that I do know what God says, that I can express myself, and that I reach out to that person who's living in sin in a loving, caring, gracious, and merciful way without compromising truth and minister to them. Because people, and I don't care what the sin is. I don't care. We've talked about pornography in the past. We have talked about gambling. We've talked about lots of different issues, People are in drugs, alcohol, you name whatever it is. We don't simply avoid them and say, what a a pathetic situation they're in. We go to that person with the gospel, we go to them with truth, we go to them in love, and we minister to them. Because we know that while Christ died for us, and we had our own load of baggage and garbage we brought with us called sin, they also do. And they need the freedom. They need the salvation. And they need the life that Jesus Christ has provided for them. That's the bottom line goal. I don't want anybody that's ever sat in a pew at Garden Chapel to go out here and say, oh, Garden Chapel's homophobic. That's one of those words that's so horrible. No. We're not scared of somebody that's gay or lesbian or homosexual. We just simply, because of what the scripture says, believe it's wrong. It's sin. But we have a gospel. We have a good news. We have the word of God. We have the truth to offer that they don't have to be that way. In fact, there's one of the passages we'll look at this morning is so clear. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. In other words, those things that it mentions, and it's a long list of bad stuff. He said, that's what it used to be. You don't have to stay in that perverted, distorted, twisted lifestyle. You just don't have to stay there because we have the power to live in the freedom that Christ has given us, and live for God. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That freedom is not to do whatever we want. That's very clear. That's uh, uh, yeah, Genesis. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 and Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, don't use this liberty, this freedom that you have as an opportunity for the flesh. It is freedom for the first time in our lives when we got saved and when we came to grips with truth about whatever was controlling our life that we can live in the freedom to serve God and do what he asks us to do and be obedient to him. That's our goal. So anything other than that didn't come from me. If anything comes across as, you know what, go out and make fun of people. Go out and fun just Just poke at them and just tell them they're wrong and tell them they're going to hell. It didn't come from me. What I want you to understand from the very beginning is that we have a message, good news for people in sin. And by the way, if you're sitting here and you're in sin, the message is for you. You can live in freedom. Freedom to serve Christ with all of your heart. We can be a household of faith as Gina sang. Now, I'm doing this, and it was pretty late by the time I got this all finished last night, and then I realized there's no way this is one sermon. In fact, as I've already started, it's probably now three, uh, because this part wasn't even part of my notes. You can come up here. and My notes don't say any of that stuff yet, but I go home last night after I was at the office, and it was pretty late, and I sat down, and I don't know where I got what channel it was or whatever, but somebody from the gay-lesbian task force or something like that was speaking. And I heard something that just, I, I, I'm, I'm going, does that lady know what she just said? She said something about not leaving this a legacy to our children. And I thought, do you realize what you just said? You know, it, because it's not a possibility if, if you're totally in a, homosexual lifestyle, there's no children coming. You know, I don't understand. There is no next generation. I thought that to be really, really disingenuous. And uh, I've never used that word from the pulpit before, but it just didn't make any sense. Uh, And I got it out even. But what I did and some people from the church here have come to me uh, a little ways back and said, did you ever go on, on, the, on the Internet and look at what gay, lesbian churches teach? And I said, yes, I have. And at that point, I knew that I was going to preach uh, on this. And so what I did is the premier gay and lesbian church is called the Metropolitan, Comun- Metropolitan Community Chapel. And they're all over the United States now. And they absolutely have a point of view. That is the normal religious point of view. They call it Christian point of view. I can't even do that because it's so far unbiblical. But they spell it out on their website, in their literature that they publish. They spell out exactly why you've got it all wrong. Or I'm not going to say you. Why I have it all wrong. I don't know what you believe. Hopefully, after we look at these things, you will go home and study it for yourself and come to some very biblical conclusions. But um, they basically say this, that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to quote, so I'll, when I'm quoting something that they said, and these are exact quotes, not partial quotes, uh, gay and lesbian men face discrimination because of societal and church attitudes okay? If, you're again, if you say homosexuality is wrong, you're a sinner. That's what it comes down to. Your church is homophobic or whatever else. Number two, hurtful things are not a reflection of Christ or the way God wants the church to be or even what the Bible says. Now, if we take that and use that at its face value. It's just simply saying, if you say anything that we don't like, you're simply being hurtful. Well, guess what? The church has been called to give the good news, but at the same time as the prophets of old did, we have been called to be a pillar and support of the truth. That means you also not only point out the gospel, the good news, you point out what is wrong and sinful. Why does anyone need the good news if there isn't sin, if there's not something that's wrong? And so we do both, and we keep them in a good, proper balance. One is condemnation if we don't give the good news. The other is just some fluff if people don't know they need a Savior. It just doesn't work any other way but they say you point out that this might be wrong so if you have a friend who's an alcoholic and lots of you do or a drug addict and you point out that's wrong you're abusing your body god says he is the only one that's to be the master of your life and you point out what you're doing is wrong and sinful well then you're you're a bad guy well that's that's the bottom line of that number three Biblical references to same-sex activity is small, showing that this topic was not of great concern to the biblical writers. Here's what they do with that one. It's because it does not. By the way, yeah, they're right about that. There are only about six or seven places where it's really dealt with. Because the major thing the Bible does, it majors on the positive. That sexuality is indeed a heterosexual activity that is reserved for marriage, and that's what the Bible concentrates on. It's not to be before marriage or out of marriage. It's to be in marriage. It's heterosexual, and so it doesn't spend a lot of time on homosexuality, but what they do is they isolate different things. We'll see how they do that in a a few minutes. Number four is the word homosexual did not exist in biblical times. That's what they say. By the way, you can go look all of this stuff up, just Metropolitan Community Chapel. You'll find it. You can find it lots of other places because um, it's the norm for those that try to justify their lifestyle by the Bible. Um, I found it various other places also. Well, of course, the word homosexuality didn't exist in biblical times, just like no other English word did. The English language didn't exist. That's why. Now, if you take the the word that is translated homosexual in the New Testament to different places, it simply simply is the Greek words put together, two men lying in a bed. Now, I got to tell you, uh, it doesn't come out much different than homosexuality. That's just the long and the short of it. This is, this is where it starts getting into the political correct stuff. Biblical writers had no concept of sexual orientation or sexual development as we understand these today. And what they say is it has nothing to do with a loving, committed, caring relationship. It was something else. I don't, oh, I do know what they say, but I'm not even going to speak of that in public. But uh, they just, like, we are above and beyond that. It is, and I'm I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use a couple other illustrations here. Evolution is assumed just because the alternatives aren't what they want them to be. Because the alternative is that as we sang earlier, one of the reasons I picked that song out, as we sang earlier, God created it. Okay, that's the alternative. Somebody created it or it just happened. And so it's assumed oh, it's assumed as fact, wh- whether you can prove it or not. It, the same would be true for, and, and you might laugh at this one, but global warming. It's assumed to be true because we have an agenda to carry out. I don't know if global warming is true or not. I have no clue. All I know is today it's politically correct to assume that it's true, despite that they have to lie about the facts. Well, you, you take it for wherever it goes. And you can go on and on that today it is assumed that you're born homosexual. That's genetic, that's the way you were born, and you don't have a choice about it. I beg to differ. The Bible says something completely different. It says, like all other things the Bible calls sin, it is a choice, a moral choice that someone makes. Now, we can talk about, can people have tendencies? The answer is, we were born totally depraved, which means physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, we're messed up. We have been affected by sin in every possible way. And so, yeah, there are people prone to anger. And yes, they born that way, and they got the nurture in that way. There are people that have tendencies toward homosexuality, lesbianism, gay, no doubt about it but to act upon the anger or act upon the homosexuality or whatever. It's not a genetic thing where I was born black or white or Hispanic or something like that. It's not one of those. It's something completely different than that. So, and then the last one, just these are, this is just all the, all the uh, introduction, is the the, the passages that reference same-sex activity should not be, Let me start over. Okay, The passages that reference same-sex activity should not be seen as comprehensive statements concerning homosexuality or a homosexual lifestyle. In other words, the Bible is not the final authority. That's what that says. Now, let's look at where they come. This is a lesson in hermeneutics. Now, it is not the study of hermons. Hermeneutics is how do you study the Bible. Back in 1964, there was a man who took what John Wesley rightly talked about and twisted it, and he called it the Wesleyan quadrilateral. John Wesley, who was a very famous and very good Christian uh, pastor and writer, had said in the past, many years ago, that there were four things that he used in considering how to interpret the Bible. And he was right about them. He said, first and foremost, there is the scripture, it's the final authority, the exact same thing that I believe and I hope you believe. He said also in the process there that we do look at tradition. We look at how others have looked at it to see, did that work? Did it pan out? Did, was, it, was that a bad, a bad interpretation? And we look at history and the tradition of the church and see, you know, because there's been lots of things that have come down the pike, and many of them proven wrong. So we look at that and so we don't try to reinvent the wheel going backwards. You know, we do that. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not the final authority. He said also that you look at reason. God gave you a brain. Use it, you know. Do the research. You know, figure out what does it say. You know, use your brain to the fullest. Use everything to your uh, in your uh, grasp to to help make sense. I do that all the time because even if it's the definition of a word, I, I need to find out exactly what it means and how it's used and things like that use your brain. Nothing wrong with that, but your brain and my brain are not the final authority, but it can help me to understand what the scripture says. That's what John Wesley said, and then he said personal experience is important too. I got to tell you that when we have a missionary speaker who has, and we're going to have one next week, who has suffered persecution, I listen intently when they talk about suffering and persecution, because guess what? I know nothing about it. And they can look at a passage of Scripture that to me is like a generic passage of Scripture says we might suffer for our faith. They can say, and I can show you what that's like. I can put a little meat on the bones there. Nothing wrong with that. And if it's somebody that is a farmer and we're talking about passages about farming in the Bible, I'm saying, I'm going to give some weight to that because this person knows a little about farming. Or if it talks about suffering uh, hardness as a good soldier, if somebody's been in the military, I've got to defer to them because I've never been there. You know, experience does help me. Again, not the final authority, but it can help me in that direction. The scripture only is the final authority. That's what John Wesley taught. But in 1964, a guy took that and made it what I'm going to call the Wesleyan equilateral. And at that point, they started considering all four of them to be equal. Now you can probably tell where this one goes, because the last one, experience is the one that leads to all of the things that we're talking about. Actually, all of them do. But now it's no longer is the Bible the final authority. And, and I'm not making this up. Go on the website. You'll find they exactly took this. Not what John, John Wesley would turn over in his grave if he could know what they are using in his name. And they're saying, we have experienced... We are gays. We are lesbians. We are homosexuals. We're transgender. We're, you know, whatever, bisexual. We're these, and we understand, and we know in our heart, that's a quote from them, in our heart that God made us this way, and so you better listen to our experience, and our experience is equal with Scripture. In fact, is I'm going to tell you how it always comes out, if it, whether it's this or a cult, it always is my experience trumps the scripture. And that's exactly what they do. It is simply taking the scripture and interpreting it in a way that God never intended it to be. Because God can say what he means and means what he says. That's what God says. So it comes back to our final authority. It always does in these kind of issues. That's where we take a stand. And I got to tell you, you will get hammered for it. That's okay. I get hammered for it too. But I'm going to stand with God and what he says, not what somebody else says, my experience, my heart. i got to tell you, I have dealt in counseling with people whose heart, by the way, I don't, I don't make fun of them. I know their experience. I know their emotions are in a particular direction, and they think that has to be from God. And I have to look at them, and I do it as kindly as possible, as, as tactfully as possible, and say, um, I know that's what you're saying, but you're not right. And, and we need to be careful. And again, this is not blasting people. This is looking at things the way God would have us to do it. And we have to have a, a, a very uh, tactful way of approaching it. So that is what the bottom line and the basis. By the way, the, uh, if, if you don't know, the Methodist church comes in the tradition of the Wesley brothers and John Wesley in particular. Um, just as I was doing the research, and I've researched this for three weeks now, so that's why I have so much stuff. It's all bottled up in my brain here. It feels like it wants to explode, but they've taken this same equilateral, and that's why, for example, the Methodist church has a statement on abortion that basically says, mom, to be, well, she's already a mother, but The birth hasn't happened yet. Between you and your doctor, we understand that uh, there are circumstances you can just make that decision. You pray about it. You consider it. But you can make that decision for yourself. Nobody can tell you what to do. Why? Because experience says, and I'm going to go one step further, emotions say, and then you can do whatever you want to do. That's where this comes from. So that's the background to this whole thing. And that's why when you hear the interpretations, and you should be in Genesis chapter 18, when you hear the interpretations of some of these things that are being propagated today, not by the world. The world just simply says, it's genetic, don't fight it, just deal with it, it's normal. It's natural. The answer is, it's not normal, it's not natural. That's what the world says. The church goes a step further and says, God created us that way and you've got it all wrong when you look at the Bible. So we're going to go to the passage that is most often turned to, Genesis chapter 18 and 19. You know the story. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go over every detail of the story, but starting in Genesis chapter 18, uh, even before uh, the angels go into Sodom, this is what the Lord says, and we're in Genesis chapter 18, verse 20 and 21, and the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. Their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. The people who propagate that homosexuality is okay, same sex marriage is, is, is a good thing, it should be, it's a human right, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they say the judgment of the cities for their w- wickedness was announced even before the angels got there, and there was the incident that happened when they were in Lot's house. The answer is, of course. God knows their heart. He knew what was going on before anybody had to set foot there and see it for themselves, which is exactly what the verses say. He said, their their sin is exceedingly grave, and I'm going to go down and simply verify it. Now, so they say that it couldn't have been homosexuality that was this exceedingly grave sin because God judged it even before the angels went down there, and the people said, bring them out so we can have relations with them. But they knew, God already knew what they were like long before they went there to verify it. And so it just kind of blows that out of the water. But continuing on it, in chapter 19, uh, you can, the, the big thing that is now, and if you don't know this and you think this is ridiculous, if it's the first time you've heard it, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was according to them. Anybody know what they say? inhospitable. Yeah, now I can't say it. In being inhospitable. Yeah. In other words, they weren't accepting of strangers. That's what they say. Now they say a few other things too, but that's the one they say. It wasn't homosexuality. It was inhospitability. Listen to what happened when the angels went there. Totally blows it out of the water. It says the angels, and this is verse 1 of 15, the angels came, Lot was sitting in the the gate of Sodom, he saw them, he went out, he bowed his face to the ground, said, behold, my Lord's come, turn aside to your servant's house, spend the night, wash your feet, and you may rise early, go on your way. And they said, however, no, we shall spend the night in the square. Lot immediately went out there and welcomed them, said, my house is your house. Come in. I'll feed you. We'll have a good time. You'll have a nice bed. Uh, You don't have to stay outside. I got to tell you, inhospitability was not the trait that they were known by. At least when Lot was there, and Lot was there. And it says, yet he urged them strongly, and they turned aside and entered his house, and he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Certainly, these angels who were in the form of men were certainly welcomed immediately when they got to town. I find that to be uh, pretty messed up. So anyway... We know the rest of the story. Verse 4, they came, they laid down, they went to bed. The men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, and all the people from every quarter. In other words, everybody from the city. And they said to Lot, where are those men who came tonight? Bring them out that we may have relations. In other words, they wanted to have homosexual relationship with them. Now, those that say that they say, well, this is not what we're talking about homosexuality today. Today we're talking about loving, committed, caring relationships. This is simply gang rape. homosexual. They don't say that part, but it's homosexual. By the way, they ask. They said, "You know what? You've been hospitable. We want them to come out, you know, send them out." Lot wouldn't do that. He he didn't do that. Uh, and it, it says they Lot they, uh, went out of the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now, if you want to know what their sin is, the one that God is emphasizing, here's where the wickedly comes in. The sin exceedingly grave starts to come in. And so uh, they they simply wanted that. Now, their point is this: no population has ever been. That had ever had that many homosexual people that all the people wanted to do this. I'm going to tell you, and we haven't looked at it, and I'm going to run out of time real quick here, but when we look at other books of the New Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah come up over and over again. And indeed, homosexuality was not their only sin. They were basically rich and fat and didn't care about anybody else, which is true. Uh, They were exceedingly sinful in lots of ways, this is the one that's emphasized here. And if you don't believe that any population was all given over to sin before, you haven't read the beginning of the book of Genesis. Because God in chapter 6 of Genesis says the heart of every man was exceedingly wicked. And he said, I'm wiping them out. There were only four people, four people, eight people that he saved. And i got to tell you, when you read the Scripture very, very carefully, only one of them is said to have grace, favor in the eyes of the Lord. The others were on his shirt tail. I don't know about the others where, what their relationship with God is, whether they believed him or not. All I know is about Noah. So it might have been down to one person who stood against the flow, they just kind of got in because they were related. I don't know that. I can't prove that, but that never says anything good about the other seven. It just simply doesn't. The fact is, we know a lot of bad about them after a while. So we don't know that. The truth of the matter is, the world has indeed gone totally wicked in the past. And I got to tell you, I (laughs) when I look around, I'm not too sure that a lot of that isn't happening. And I know it's not 100% there, but man, I see a lot of things where it's going that direction again. Fact is, Lot, and by the way, Lot was so messed up too. You got to understand, this story is not a glorification of Lot. Even though we know he was a righteous man, we know that from the New Testament, we also know that his daughters, his wife, his sons-in-laws, just like in the day of Noah, from what I can tell from them, there's nothing good said about them. In fact, a lot of bad is said about them. But Lot, he a righteous man, his soul being vexed, it says in the New Testament, living among these people, but he stayed there. He was so messed up in his head that he said, You know what? I have two daughters that are virgins. Here, have them. This is twisted and distorted. But I got to tell you, when you do not take a stand against sin, and you let sin just kind of overwhelm you, and don't speak up, and don't take a stand, you get like Lot. And I'm going to tell you, there are people in churches who say, yeah, homosexuality is wrong. It's sin. By the way, we haven't even looked at the passages that are absolutely stone cold clear on this. But you know what? Who am I to say anything? So I'm just going to be quiet. That's Lot. In fact, is I can prove that in Lot's time in Sodom and Gomorrah, and we can't get there this morning, but in the New Testament, basically says in the same way, it was business as normal, business as usual in town, because that's what he says is going to happen in the future, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They were marrying, they were doing this, they were doing that, and the end came. That's what the word says. And so uh, Lot is so messed up that he's willing to offer his daughters. Of course, they don't want them. They said, no, no, no. We he said, stand aside. Uh, you've come in here. You're acting like a judge. And now we're going to treat you worse than them. Uh, he said, uh, you know, we don't want your daughters. We want those men that okay, came in. Now, I've got to tell you, that is their mindset. It's not a matter of, of they're doing whatever is convenient or available. They want something specific. And God is very clear about that. Uh, and so it's only the angels who go outside, pull Lot back in the door, blind the people who are there that stop them in, our tracks, in their tracks. Now, verse 12, uh, God says to Lot, I want you to get out of here. Your sons-in-laws and your daughters, whoever you have, and bring them out. I'm going to destroy the place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord and has sent us to destroy it. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, I'm going to destroy the city. And he said, take your wife, your two daughters, and who are here with you, lest you be swept away in the punishment of this city. It's not simply a story about the condemnation of homosexuality. Sodomy, that's where the word comes from, the city of Sodom. It's not simply that, but sin always gathers other sin. When I am, when I am in sin, and I don't know if you've probably figured this out, if somebody is, and I'll, I'll give you an example that I've had to deal with many times, somebody is cheating on their spouse, I'm going to tell you the next sin that comes on, lying, deceiving, you name it, anything that buries the truth, blurs the truth, all comes in. And then it goes from there to the next thing, and then it's pornography, and you name it, it just is a snowball. Because sin loves company. And it absolutely does. And when you're in one sin, you will make an excuse to do all kinds of other sins. In fact is, because you're in sin, to cover your tracks, you sin in otherwise. That's the way it is. Sodom and Gomorrah were exactly like that. And yes, it wasn't simply one sin that they were committing. I totally agree with them on that. But the whole process was put together. Their sin was open and blatant. In fact, it is in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 9. It says it this way. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. In Sodom, sin was open. It was blatant. And it wasn't simply just homosexuality. It was all kinds of sin that God deals with. In fact, is it was, as I said already, it was multiple sinful behaviors. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, it says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, careless ease, but she did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw him. You say, well, it doesn't say homosexuality. If you look at the word abomination, and you can look this up for yourself, it'll take you a while to do it, but not every case where the word abomination is used in the Old Testament by God is deals with um, sexual sin, but it is very much used in that direction, and the other one where it is very much used is idolatry, which is any idol, anything that gets between a person and God. It is used for a few other things, but by and large, the normal way of using abomination is when it deals with sexual sin, especially sexual perversion and the worship of false gods. And he says, they committed abominations, and because of that, I am going to wipe them out, and I did wipe them out. I'm going to close there because I just ran out of time, but I hope that you get an idea. It starts with what is your authority? If you're going to throw the Bible out, then don't even bother coming back and listen to the rest of these sermons that deal with this because that is the bottom line. What is your authority? Whether it's how do you get to heaven, whether it's how I'm to live, how I'm to interact with people, or what is my standard? What is my opinion? What do I practice in this world? If the Bible's not the final standard, then you're at the wrong place. Go someplace where they tell you, do whatever you want. Your experience and your reason is just as important as the Bible. It's not the final authority. I hope that's not your case. I hope you come back because we need to see what God says and very clearly what He says. And Then, as we know, God is gracious. Even in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, He was still in the business of telling people to come out. Noah in his day, preached for 120 years, and people didn't listen. I got to tell you, you may not be able to, and I'm going to encourage you as this goes on, is you need to take a stand in our society for marriage, for the family. You need to take that stand. You need to use your vote. You need to do that. But most of all, most of all, we need to give the gospel. We need to show love. No matter what Sin, no matter what lifestyle a person is in, we need to reach out to them with the truth because they need to be set free. That's our job. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, begging on behalf of God to be reconciled to Him. That is our job. That's what He has left us here to do. And we need to do that with full love, full mercy, full grace. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we have just scratched the surface, but Lord, that authority is just so important. Lord, I pray that we would be more dedicated than ever to seeing exactly what the Word of God says about those topics that come up in our world today. Today, we've been looking at homosexuality, and I pray that we would have a biblical, godly viewpoint. And Father, I pray that with that stand that we take, we would also take a stand that all people need to know Christ. They need to know truth, and they need freedom. Lord, I pray that we would minister in such a way that we glorify you, that we ourselves are at peace, and that others are benefited. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with God.